I'm Brian Scordato, and this is the Idea to Start a Podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. We accelerate ideas into real companies through the Tacklebox membership, and we think through startup strategy every Wednesday on the Idea to Start Up Podcast. You're here because you're thinking about an idea, or you're ready to launch something, or you already launched something and you're running full steam ahead. We're here to help with the counterintuitive stuff. On to it. Today, we're going to talk about one of the fundamental laws of startups. There's a book by Richard Feynman called Six Easy Pieces, where he talks through the six fundamental laws of physics, the foundational building blocks, the first principles. I read it because I thought that maybe these, quote, easy pieces would make physics click, and it was pretty short. They didn't. But the framing helped me start thinking about the laws of startups, and it was actually a great read. I'll pop it in the show notes. I've been toying around with these potential laws, but the exercise I did to start surfacing them made the first law we talk about obvious. The exercise to find the laws was, as usual, rivers and dams. I thought about where all of our best startups that didn't make it got stuck. A clear dam emerged, one that's claimed hundreds of our founders' startup lives, and the law to help you navigate that dam is the law we're going to talk about today, the law of the wedge. Coincidentally, it's the dam I'm currently navigating with the chronic pain startup, so sometimes you can't have it all. To be successful, nearly every startup will need to solve a wedge problem for their customer, something smaller, more urgent, usually but not always adjacent to the bigger problem their business will eventually solve, something with less friction and clearer immediate upside, something with a shorter feedback loop. Solving this problem will build trust, and afterwards, the customer will give you some slack, the time, space, and most importantly, input you'll need to solve that bigger problem, the one you had in mind when you started this whole thing. The wedge will bring your early customers onto your side of the table. They'll try your duct tape and bubblegum beta product, and they'll tell you how it went and brainstorm with you on how it could go better. They'll introduce you to other customers and let you write a white paper on them. When your product breaks, they'll help you fix it. The startups that succeed are the ones that are able to turn their first customers into partners. I've seen it. And the way that they do it is usually by starting with a wedge. But wedges themselves are hard. Founders are incredulous when I suggest this to them. You mean I need to find a different important problem this customer hasn't solved yet and solve it for them just so that I have the right to solve the other bigger problem? Or, as one founder once asked me, so I just need to hit the lotto twice, huh? Wedges are a mental game. How far from your core product should you go to find a wedge? What's strategic and what's sapping your precious time? If you're going to sell smoothies out of a food truck, should you first help people find parking in the city to build trust? Is that too far away from smoothies? Should you start a newsletter to help people find healthy local food to become a trusted voice in the space? Does that really solve a problem? Would that just be a different full-time job? Does it get you closer to the smoothies if you're successful? Luckily, we've got a framework to help you find great wedges and execute on them. That is what today's episode is all about. And we're going to start with a story. Maybe two months ago, someone applied to Tacklebox with a fascinating idea around circadian rhythms. When we hopped on a call, she jumped right in. I love these types of founders. She couldn't have had less interest in talking about how the weather in Connecticut was. Perfect. Everyone has heard about circadian rhythms, she began. But most people don't actually understand how important they are. Not like we do, at least, she said. 
I nodded vigorously. I couldn't believe I was being lumped into the we that knew anything about circadian rhythms. But little man had been up crying the whole night before, so I was happy to take the win as long as there were no follow-up questions. You do know about the types of circadian rhythms, right? Damn it. No, actually I don't. Explain them to me. So, circadian rhythms are physical, mental, and behavioral changes that follow a 24-hour cycle. Our biological clocks, our internal timing device, regulates these rhythms. And not everyone's circadian rhythms are the same. Some people's biological cycles are more receptive to waking up early and going to bed early. Others do best if they can sleep late. Circadian rhythms influence all sorts of stuff. Things like when your body releases hormones, eating and hunger habits, and how well you digest food, body temperature, and by far most importantly, sleep. Cool, I said, and it was. Go on. I felt like there was a big problem coming. The big problem, she said, nailed it, is when our routines don't match our biological cycles. So if your internal clock is giving you a schedule and you ignore it, it's basically like giving yourself perma-jet lag. If you're awake but your body wants to be asleep, you'll release stress hormones or hunger hormones or pump extra sugar into your blood and raise your blood pressure to compensate. Just like jet lag, this isn't that big of a deal in the short term. But in the long term, if you consistently ignore your internal clock, your body will normalize the compensation behaviors, which is bad. You'll get to an equilibrium of that perma-jet lag, and if that lasts for months or years, it leads directly to cardiovascular diseases, mental illness, diabetes, weight gain, and other metabolic disorders. It is estimated that more than half the population in industrialized societies have out-of-whack circadian rhythms. The damage and the cost of this is almost incalculable. So, she continued, I want to build a startup to help people find and obey their circadian rhythm to identify when they should sleep and when they should be awake and to do that. It's negligence that we don't do this already. A simple example. There are all sorts of studies with teens and preteens that show their rhythms are skewed towards going to bed late and waking up late, yet we wake them up at 6 a.m. for school. Schools that start at 9 a.m. or later have statistically lower instances of depression and even suicide. Ignoring circadian rhythms is a disaster. So much needs to change. But, she continued, I can't get anyone excited. As soon as I tell them they'll need to fundamentally change their schedule after we figure out their rhythm, they lose interest. I feel like I've got the answer to so many problems, and nobody cares. Indeed. Today, we're going to talk about wedges, about getting momentum on a complicated problem with a long feedback loop, about buying yourself the time and attention you'll need to solve the hard things. Wedges are about turning overwhelming problems into whelming ones. I checked. It's a word. So let's figure out how to find you a wedge. After, a word from Build. This episode of Idea to Start a Podcast is brought to you by our good friends at Build. That's B-Y-L-D-D dot com. They're a development agency that helps early stage startups build and launch scalable, revenue generating software businesses. Development from non-technical founders and teams without a tech person on them is the massive elephant in the room that just sits there judging you while you run all of your customer work and intent tests. And once you've validated your idea and you know that customers want what you've decided to build, you've got to figure out how to build it. That's where things get sticky. You probably don't have 100K to throw at a huge creative agency, and even if you did, for your first product, you probably shouldn't. You might roll the dice on Upwork, and it might work, 
but you'll need to project manage the whole thing. The cost will be a black box, and I cannot stress enough the might in that first sentence. For 10K and roughly a month of work, Build will get your validated product up and out. We've advertised Build a few times, and the one question we've been asked is, can companies that work with them end up growing big? The answer is absolutely. They've worked with companies that have gone on to Y Combinator and raised money at 10-figure valuations. Build is the way to get your first product built, and that product can lay the infrastructure and the foundation for any size company. Head to build.com to talk to Ayush. That's B-Y-L-D-D.com and tell him you heard about it through Idea to Startup. Back to it. The anatomy of a wedge. The hardest part of starting a business is building trust with strangers, also known as your first customers. Trust is an ambiguous thing, and ambiguous things are hard to attack. So at Tacklebox, we make trust a bit more concrete. We think about it as a transaction in a very specific moment. There are things that build trust on the founder side and things that require trust on the customer side. And we take account of those things, give them values and measure. Back to circadian rhythms. When I asked the founder about the customers she was starting with, she said she tried to start with the most urgent problem, high school students. Specifically, she was pitching healthcare companies to get them to subsidize tracking bands for high school students to wear. There are already devices on the market that can help identify circadian rhythms. She just needed someone to help her get them in the hands of students. But this went nowhere. It was clear this customer was too risk averse and would only consider it once lots of other companies had been successful with it. Also, they'd said, what if it says students shouldn't wake up until nine? Do we just have to change our whole schedule? When the founder had replied, yes, the call had ended. So she went to tech companies, specifically companies that let their employees work from home on their own hours already. Why not let your employees work when it's best for them to work? This aligned with their ethos, right? It was pretty close to people on their way getting a nice coffee. But again, the trust equation was lopsided. Potential customers said things like, but what if we have meetings they need to attend and how will we even know if it works? There was too much cognitive overhead and not enough urgency. All drag, zero thrust. It was unclear where the program fit. Was it an employee perk? Would it help with hiring? Would it genuinely improve performance? Further, measurement was tricky. How would they know if this was the thing that had worked? How would they know if it wasn't better management or any of the other hundred initiatives that were meant to improve productivity and general employee happiness? Companies were interested peripherally, but not ready to work deeply together just yet. Ambiguity around value or metrics or category are absolute killers. Your customer's default state is always to not work with you, and this makes it easy for them to stay there. This scenario, where there's interest but not enough trust to move forward, is where you need a wedge. Finding a wedge, scarcity and constraints. This brings us all the way back to chronic pain. If you haven't listened to the last couple of episodes, I'm testing out a startup idea for the pod on chronic pain. A huge percentage, something like 20 to 30% of all Americans suffer daily from chronic pain. My hypothesis is that we can cut that number dramatically. I'm not entirely sure just how yet, but I'm making progress. So I've been interviewing people with chronic pain the past couple of weeks, and psalms are beginning to emerge. The first customer bifurcation is clear. There's one type of customer who has chronic pain and is endlessly frustrated by it. 
They have tried dozens of things and continue to search for new treatments. Eastern medicine, Western medicine, the guy above the pizza shop who is a combined psychic and acupuncturist called a psychupuncturist, which is a true story someone tried and said it was, quote, not the worst treatment they've had. They will try anything. They pay out of pocket or they pay through insurance. They just don't want to live with this. The customer on the other side of the bifurcation is just as frustrated, but far less motivated. They don't try new things and they haven't for years. I can't help them. Not yet, at least. Every time I realize I'm speaking with someone like that during an interview, I politely take their info and tell them I'll reach out when I've got a product. You cannot help people that aren't already actively searching for a solution, despite how tempting it is when they say things like, well, if you build this, I'd definitely try it. Stay away. Among the people trying, one subgroup has emerged further. During the early days, I draw circles around customer segments with similar scarcity and constraints. This does a good job of showing their priorities and figuring out what might help them. The customer I'm interested in now is constrained by time, which makes their ability to try lots of new things scarce. It's just too much work for them to find, book, and attend appointments with new doctors, to wait on hold with insurance companies, to send all their info to each new doctor. In the interviews, one thing kept jumping out. People saying things like, I wish I had a consultant to take me through all of this, or I wish I had an assistant who would book and track everything. Most of these customers have fairly common types of chronic pain, back pain from an injury, sciatica pain, neck pain. Usually it presents itself as a headache and it usually gets worse as the day goes on. Also, this customer sits at a desk all day, every day. They're active outside of work and they end up going to the gym most days and they hope that this combats the toll of sitting at the desk. My mind has visions of a bigger, longer term product that is something like a shared executive assistant. Maybe someone I hire that handles 25 or 30 people with chronic pain at a time and books and manages their appointments and their schedules. Maybe the patients communicate over voice note, describing how they feel each morning as they walk to work so that the data starts to accumulate and the new treatments can be tracked. Maybe we end up with a huge database tracking the effectiveness of all of the different treatments that our patients have tried. That data set could be fed into an AI. Maybe. But to start, that would require an enormous amount of trust that I won't be able to get from scratch. Also, I'm not ready to build that. I'm not close enough to the customer. I don't know how they live. I don't even know if they'd want it. So I need customers bought in, helping me build and iterate. I need trust. I need a wedge, something with a quick feedback loop with clear value, something shareable that'll build trust and get me closer to customers. Last week, I came up with one. I'd had a conversation with a physical therapist who's spent the last 10 years treating people with chronic back pain. I asked him what the lowest hanging fruit was. What was the smallest thing he'd done with patients that created the biggest result? He answered in a millisecond. Oh, easily. Flexion versus extension of the back. No question. Go on, I said. Well, people sit at their desks all day on a computer, usually on laptops, sometimes with monitors, never in the proper alignment. They're always pulled forward with their backs arched over in flexion. This pattern tightens the muscles. Their shoulders are hunched, their back, even their hands and fingers. Everything is pulled by an invisible string to the keyboard. Then they leave their desk and they grab a phone and the same thing happens. Worst of all, when they do go to the gym, they do push-ups and bench press and other things that just keep pounding on that flexion posture. It's ridiculous. No matter how much work we do straightening them out, if you spend 12 to 15 hours a day curled up in a ball, 
He got no shot. So he said, by far the best thing I can do is give them a desk program. First, I ask about their desk setup and I make suggestions about mouse and keyboard monitor and a standing desk and treadmill mat. Then I teach them how to mark certain times of the day in their calendar for standing and walking versus sitting. Finally, I give them 15 or so extension exercises and a set of bands to do them with. These people set a timer and every hour they ideally spend like literally 120 seconds pulling on the bands and opening up their chests. Even if they only do it twice a day, it still has a huge impact. The setup is a miracle for chronic pain. Oftentimes it's the missing piece. When customers don't do it, they don't get better. When they do, they do. Sounds like a wedge to me. It ticks a lot of our boxes. It's got a quick feedback loop, immediate problem, clear value, no cognitive overhead, clear status level leap, and maybe most of all, it's easily shareable. If this works, each time the customer hops on a Zoom from a treadmill desk, they're going to be compelled to tell the story of how they got it. There's definitely a challenge around the promise, exactly how much better it'll get you. But cognitively, it makes enough sense that people might go for it, even with a vaguer outcome statement. And most importantly, this came up over and over in interviews. People were in pain at their desks. They knew there was a way to make them more ergonomic, but they hadn't figured out how. They considered or bought standing desks or treadmill desks, but something hadn't worked. The problem was urgent and it was painful. So I pushed an email out to the people I'd spoken with about chronic pain. I offered a Zoom consultation to make their workspace more ergonomic and a set of exercises to balance out all the flexion with some extension during the day. The cost was 150 bucks and any affiliate fees that we made from the additional purchases. We're paying the physical therapist a piece of that to run the Zoom call, though he said he would do it for free. This is an inbound client funnel for him. I also pushed an ad live with this and I tried a couple of product placements on a few podcasts. We'll see how it goes. As with anything, the key is getting some tests out there and iterating on them. I'll see if this wedge creates enough trust to convert people, if it leads to a willingness to move into deeper services. I have three other wedge ideas I'm putting out there as well, two around scheduling, one around community. We'll see. The end of the wedge. Ethnographic, as always. We'll end with our circadian rhythm startup. After a few weeks of beating her head against the wall with tech companies, she got one team lead at a pretty big company to let her come into their shared office space and shadow him for the day. I think this was more to get her off his back than anything, and it was the type of thing I'll mention in the pod, but 99% of people would never actually do, and it works. She worked beside him for the day, mostly doing her own stuff, but occasionally looking up and asking what he was working on. At one point, he was huffing. What's going on? She asked. Well, it actually kind of maybe has something to do with you. We have these damn wellness retreats, he said. We promise we'll do them quarterly when we hire people, but they've gotten so complicated. It's supposed to be a work week and then a weekend at like an Airbnb with all sorts of wellness resets. Then everyone gets the following week off. But the scheduling gets so frustrating. Some people can't miss calls or have personal days. Some people can't travel or can't get babysitters. It is literally the most frustrating part of my job. It is hurting cats. I'll do it for you, she said immediately. What? Tell me what you want to have happen and I'll coordinate the whole thing. 
under the condition that I get to use health bands on people to track their circadian rhythms and see when their optimal times to work and sleep are during this retreat. He thought for a second, then answered, sure thing, all yours. So she spent about five hours figuring out how to plan the retreat. Then he referred her internally to two more teams where she did the same thing. And in a few weeks, she'll have 50 people using whoop bands to reset their circadian rhythms. Then she'll stay in touch with them for a month after that, tracking performance, happiness, and sleep. That is a wedge, doing something that people hate doing, something people will happily let you do, something that'll build trust, if you can find it. And as always, the way to find it is to get closer to your customer than anyone else is willing to get. And now I'm off to the psychopuncturist above the pizza shop. I'm too intrigued not to go. I mean, come on, psychopuncturist. This was the idea to start a podcast brought to you by Tacklebox. If you've got an idea and a full-time job, come work with us. Apply at gettacklebox.com and we'll get back to you in 72 hours. Have a great week. 